0: We are live on Ubisoft Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host. And as per usual, I'm joined by publisher extraordinaire, Seth Wintra. How are you doing today, Seth? I'm good. All right. Uh, it's pretty slow news week this week. We didn't have that much uh, news in the EV space, which is rare. Uh, a little of a breeder for us, but uh, what it does, what it's going to give us is the opportunity to talk to you guys a little bit more. So um, we're going to let you sometimes to come in, of course, but uh, once you do, we're going to ask you to put your... Uh, Comments in the comment section, and some we have either questions to talk to us about what we discussed today, other um, topics to discuss in the EV space, or whatever you're going gonna to discuss that is related to the show. We're going to get into it, but uh, we're going to start it out with a few pieces of news that still uh, was uh, somewhat significant this week that uh, I think you guys might find interesting. And we're going to start out with uh, the new model SMX, uh, starting with the price. So there was a, a big price decrease this week. That's added on top of the big one that came uh, in early January that affected the entire lineup, including Model S and X. But now this one is just for Model S and X and it brings the price down basically back two years, two and a half years behind. So the price have been slowly, gradually increasing over the years. Model S and X was in a weird situation, of course, because there was the, the 2020 refresh and the refresh took forever to get to volume production. So during that time, Tesla was basically sitting on like two years of, uh, of backlog. And Tesla has been known to take advantage of that and, uh, and increase prices during those times. So they did that. Uh, and now I assume that they have been working through that backlog pretty well. And now they are bringing those prices down. So there was the big one, engineering. And this one uh, this week is, uh, is, is a big one too. The Molo S long range all wheel drive, the base Molo S basically, was over $100,000 just a, a few months ago. Now it's $90,000. Plaid is going down to 110. If you remember, that was like 130 or 135 uh, last year. Mole S long range out, Mole X starts at $100,000. That's been a while too since it's been the case. And the plat Mole X is 110 which makes no sense whatsoever because that's yeah. the same price as the Mole S plot. <laughs> uh, that happened before though, it happened before briefly. And it, it, it just goes to show that this is not necessarily about cost or anything like that. It's about demand and the demand. This, to create the demand for the Mole X plot. I had to bring down the price the same as the Mole S. And so, because normally as the, the the pricing model for Tesla, for the flagships Model S and X, it was always Model S, uh, sorry, Model X, generally $5,000 more expensive than the Model S for the same trim. In this case, now there's only two trims anymore. And uh, now what makes this price decrease interesting on top of that is that there's basically a new sort of smallish uh, refresh of uh, the Model S and X again. And... Um, this is calling it uh, more for less, like more features for less price. And uh, so we had a few things that came up this week that sort of announced that. First, we saw in the configurator itself, a new uh, color option, the ultra red. You can see it right here. So it, re- it replaces the multi-coat red with uh, something that's a lot closer to the cherry red that Tesla is uh, offering on the Model Y in uh, in Berlin. But we know that this is, only for berlin vehicles because apparently the new paint shop that they have like gigafactory berlin is uh as a new process that is able to put deeper um, different coating with a deeper effect that in the light makes it a very different so i um uh, you get close to it with the ultra red but not not quite Did, did i have a comparison here at some point um no okay so this is the comparison between the red multicode that was the the red option before and the new ultra red now um there's a big difference there's the, the difference with the cherry red is a little bit uh, less so looks uh, good th- yeah no it looks good for sure uh not not cheap though it comes at three thousand dollars
1: yeah but you know, it's funny the, the price drops. Uh, you mentioned that the Model Y and the Model sorry the Model X and the Model S cost the same, but like if you go down to the uh, you know the, the standard vehicle, the non Plaid, it's a ten thousand dollar difference. So it's kind of it's kind of nuts that the Plaid on both vehicles somehow equalizes the price.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I would have to assume that is related to like just the mindset behind buying a Plaid in the first place. With the Model S, it does circumvent sense because your it's basically a supercar, even though it's right. like a family sedan. It, it, it's just, you can you can just buy a, a Plaid Model S because you're like, oh, I want just the best performance car out there. It just so happened that it's a family sedan, but it, it's still what it is. While the Model X, even though it is, like you said, it's the same powertrain, like it, it also gets insane performance, especially for an SUV, but uh, you, you, it's just a little bit less than the Model S. So, so right. if, you, if you are in the mindset, I'm going to buy a supercar, an electric supercar, you're going to go with the Model S plot instead of the Model X. So, so the Model X is more like, I want just a top-of-the-line electric SUV, you go to MLX you're like all right am i gonna spend a few tens of like a thousand ten thousand dollar more to to get also like a, a half a second faster of the zero and 16 miles per hour and um, not really the, the, the mindset is not there so it, it is clearly a price adjustment based on demand there's just not that much demand for the X, plot all right so there was this announcement and Tesla started delivering these new Model S and X with now the Ultra Red. Well, of course, the Ultra Red, they just started producing it. So the, the, the deliveries are going to, um, well, I'm sure they're going to put some in inventory and most likely also in display. But if you, they, they, they are producing it and deliveries of the new Model S started. And they've been sending out this email to people to call it this um, more for less thing. Uh, with the price adjustment and the new updates. And the new updates were mostly including things that we already knew about, uh, like there's the new badging on it. There's um, the uh, the steering wheel option now. You can get the yoke or you can get the round steering wheel. And uh, things like also the plaid, getting the new uh, brakes. But there was one thing that was new that we didn't know about is this new uh, glass roof. So in the email, Tesla noted that our uh, new MLS roof glass that's a weird word. roof glass that's uh, in more light allowing a clearer view of the sky day or night while maintaining the same level of heat and uv protection they actually talk about letting uh waiting less than the existing roof and letting five times more lights which sounds like a big improvement uh, obviously it's your glass roof so letting more lights is not always the best thing because yeah you, for
1: um, you're in arizona that's not what you want really Exactly, especially for temperature controls
0: and things like that. Uh, but they say that they block the same level of UV protections. It offers the same level of UV protection, so that's I guess that's good news. And uh, weighting less, okay, of course, improves the overall weight of the car, which improves efficiency. Um, don't know by how much here, but they, do, they, they didn't actually talk about efficiency. They said it improves handling, which at first I was like, what? Uh, but yeah, technically, if you remove some of the weight at the top of the car, it does help lower the center of gravity, which is already pretty damn low in the MLS because of the battery pack, obviously, and that improves handling. (laughs) I don't know why they would specify that, though, because (laughs) I would have uh, trouble imagining just how big of an improvement it is, unless it's a massive weight um, reduction that they have, but uh, again, I'd, I'd be surprised. So in that email, they mentioned all those improvements and then they mentioned we dropped the price or like go for it. You should buy a new Model S. The one thing they don't mention in that email, though, and it's arguably the biggest change to the Model S and X with this like small refresh that happened this week. And that's the, the new hardware for autopilot and self-driving sensor suite. They No mention it whatsoever, even though we know it's in those, those cars, they've, they've been spotted with having a new hardware. And, um, and this week, even the service manual uh, came out, and the service manual gave us a little bit more information, even though we knew, we knew pretty much everything there is to know about the new sensors yet. Uh, but one thing that was confusing is this uh, front-facing enclosure here. So a bunch of information sort of trickled in over the last few months that confirmed that the, the stuff was going from three cameras to two cameras in that enclosure. Surprising. Uh, but okay, fine, I mean, they are better cameras. This uh, probably has to figure out a way to uh, use, use the data better from two instead of three. Uh, but then when we spotted it, it looked like there were still three cameras like it, like in this picture. though one of them didn't look like the others. Uh, and now the service manual confirmed that one of them is a dummy camera. So Tesla literally writes in the service manual, the bi-camera assembly, so there is two cameras in of 3 has cutouts for three camera lens assemblies, but one of the cutouts is populated with a dummy camera. Doesn't elaborate for why. Um, there's been a bunch of speculation. The, uh, the two main theories, I guess, are maybe for right-hand drive versus left-hand drive. Maybe Tesla would switch the camera on the other side for left-hand drive in, a, in order to keep the, the same ratio of like where the positioning of the camera. That could make sense. Interesting theory. The other one is, of course, uh, would allow for retrofit to have another camera once there's a... Maybe the, maybe the more advanced camera is not available right now and Tesla is anticipating that it will be in the future. And we know that the new computer in the 4.0 hardware suite has uh, a spare entry and a spare input for a camera so there's a possibility that this would revert back to a three camera system using that input and is just waiting for a better camera lens or camera assembly uh, to come to become available this is
1: one of those times that a pr department would be helpful like no really (laughs) hey what what's going on yeah, because right now, like, you, you
0: Google Tesla, and you know, there's a bunch of headlines that just say is, uh, Tesla is putting a dummy camera in their in their cars, uh, which is an accurate headline. It's not clickbait. And uh, I would like to put, like, Tesla is putting a dummy camera in its car, and here's why, but I don't have the answer to it. So you can't blame me for that headline right there. And there's uh, here's the actual camera assembly. It's straight up a dummy camera, and there's no
1: cables or anything like that but why would just... they even why just leave it empty like it seems weird to put a fake camera maybe in. it would
0: look weird in the enclosure without it i guess um, it is an investment tesla is always like even the tiniest little thing they remove it if it's not useful so that to that to your point that wouldn't that, that is weird to, that they put the they went to the process of putting a fake one in there
1: it would look weird though Maybe uh, maybe in the future, they're going to have, a, you know, maybe there's not the part isn't available and they're going to upgrade it or something. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows?
0: Anyway, Tesla, hasn't said, a word about uh, 4.0 yet, other than uh, his brief comment from Elon last year where he said that it won't be retrofittable. And um, he said he gave like a very, very vague percentage number improvement over the 3.0, saying that we still plan to deliver full self driving on 3.0. But uh, he has lost a ton of credibility on that front anyway. So you have to take it and leave it sometimes. All right. uh, We're going to move on to the next piece of news. If this thing can start working. There you go. All right. Again, if you guys have any questions, please put them in the comment section right now because this show is going to be quick on the news item because it was a slow news week this week. Uh, If you guys have any questions, put them down below. If you have any other topics in the EV world or uh, renewable energy that you want us to discuss this week, also it would be the time. We're going to have plenty of time later on the show to discuss all of that. I see we already have a few questions. We appreciate them. Um, All right. So we went to the high visibility glass, the dummy camera price adjustments. So that's basically it for the new Model S and X. Deliveries are starting right now. Gigafactory Mexico, after the official announcement last week, some more details started to trickle in. Uh, Tesla was very low on details on that too, just saying that Gigafactory Mexico is coming to the Monterrey area and it's going to produce the next-gen vehicle. Without saying what that's going to be, without saying the output of the factory, without saying the size of the investment, the Job creation anything like that, but uh, we did learn last week that uh, they purchased a very large uh, 2,500 acres of land, so bigger than uh, Gigafactory, uh, 4,200 acres of land, twice, almost twice as big as the land of Gigafactory Texas. Uh, so it's going to be a huge factory. That they released that rendering here, but it's hard to tell the actual size of it from there. But it's probably going to be as big, if not bigger, than Gigafactory Texas. And uh, since then, the local officials have, uh, have released a little bit more information because obviously they've been starved of information. And we, we, even even in the Monterey, which is a, a large city, I don't know how big Monterey, what's the population of Monterey is? I would assume it's in the, the millions, uh, maybe one or two, one, 1.1 million. I don't know if that's Metro. Yeah, no, Metro is 5 million. So it's, it's a huge city, uh, Monterey. But even for a big city like that, uh, Tesla coming in with a gigafactory has a significant impact. So the locals want to know what's uh, what's going on, what's going to happen. And uh, they released a little bit more details here saying that Tesla plans to spend $5 billion on the factory, which is in line with other gigafactories in the past. Uh, Tesla has been trying to be more capital uh, efficient with their capital expenditure. So you, you can expect something big with $5 billion at this point because we've seen other factories with similar spending uh, producing a, a lot, uh, and in, over time, with like Gigafactory Nevada, for example, was a bigger investment, less, less capacity, and with Gigafactory Shanghai it was a smaller investment, much bigger capacity, and we expect something similar to come out of uh, Gigafactory Mexico here. In terms of job job creation, seven thousand workers, and uh, direct employees here, which is again in line or a little bit lower than. Prediction for other gigafactories that, can, that, that went to uh, 10,000 people, but Tesla has been trying to be more efficient with, job, um, with the workforce there too. And uh, finally, in terms of timing, so we talked about Tom Zhu, Tesla's head of automotive, saying that uh, they were aiming to beat the record of Gigafree Shanghai from br- groundbreaking to production of nine months. They want to do something similar. So now everyone is holding their breath as when is the groundbreaking is going to start. Tesla is currently working on the final permit and uh, the local officials have confirmed a suspicion that the main thing about the negotiation between the government and Tesla was about no red tape as fast as possible, moving as fast as possible. So they are saying that they are trying to obtain the final permit by the end of this month, by the end of March. So that would mean groundbreaking this month or next month if if the if everything goes well with the permit and uh yeah that could mean that that would mean production next year for sure i'll next year that, that would again depends on how smooth things goes but yeah i, w- I wouldn't be surprised if this list starts production early next year at this factory which brings another interesting point if that's going to be the next gen platform we're going to get a car yeah, next that's gonna be a next gen model. We haven't seen that next gen model yet, so that would sort of put some time of timeline of when we're gonna see that new model from Tesla. Because people it, have been <laughs> starving for that. Do right?
1: we know that if they're gonna make that car there first, or they maybe they'll make some extra Model Ys or Model Threes there? As well. I would
0: assume that the the first car they produce there is gonna be a new car because they're gonna they're gonna design the whole factory around this next gen manufacturing system that they. Right. New, uh, what do you call it? All the box one, whatever. Unboxing, the new unboxing system, I think mm-hmm. you call it. Unboxed. Okay, uh, moving on from Tesla news already. We're not even 20 minutes into the show. <laughs> We're moving on from Tesla news. You know that's going to be uh, a quick show this week, but we have three very interesting news items that's not really in Tesla to discuss, starting with uh, the Mini Cooper 2024 EV. Uh, we got some new details about it in terms of specs coming out. So as you know, we 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 like the we really like the, the Mini uh, Cooper EV. Other than a little disappointment over the fact of where it's stand as a vehicle program, considering the Mini E electric came out in I don't even remember uh, 2008 or whatever. Was it? Yeah,
1: like a decade and a half ago. Yeah.
0: So going from they had already like that car like a decade ago took them over a decade to, to bring it to market. So that was a little bit frustrating. And of course and then the when, it, when it did come to market, it was very much you could argue a compliance car or at least of the very least a, a city car, like a car meant for the city. It's not, it's uh, kind of a second car option. It's not going to be your full car probably, unless you just want to use it in the city. Now, the, the, the 2024 update does bring some interesting new options. So, you go from a 32.6 kilowatt hour battery pack to having two options, and both of them are bigger 40 kilowatt hour and 54 kilowatt hour. So, a 54 kilowatt hour for a vehicle of that size, we don't have the EPA range just yet. Um, so, uh, the EPA is always lower. So, okay, Jamie, Jamie came with his own estimate here of 145, 180 um yeah 50 54 kilowatt hour getting 180 i I would have hoped for yeah
1: i mean you think chevy bolt that that's a 65 kilowatt hour battery and that goes 260 miles yeah so maybe a little bit more than 180 it might hit 200 yeah i would have liked to see 200 on that
0: uh, then a little bit bump on power too, went from uh, 181 uh, horsepower, 135 kilowatt output motor to 215, 160. So 200 plus uh, horsepower and vehicle of that size is, uh, is not bad. Uh, we don't have the good pictures of it yet. It's just uh, the prototype wrap still. So it's not, that's not ideal. Uh, We don't expect it to come. Oh, Oh, yeah, that's right. That was from a few weeks ago. We did see an unwrap one coming out. Uh, So there is some significant uh, exterior changes. I don't know how much I like those, to be honest. Uh, I kind of like the look of the previous model.
1: Yeah, this one's not uh, as exciting. I don't know. It just looks kind of like Honda uh, Mini E or whatever. It yeah, like yeah
0: on there. the on the e yeah yeah especially the front hand here with the yeah rounded. that is weird that grill is no. weird yeah not, not the biggest fan either but mini is looking to go all electric and they want to is gonna have the convertible one coming too soon so we're excited about that and you can expect the power trains to transfer from one model to another here so when we get here, we should get on the other versions of the car too. Moving on from mini, uh, we have Mercedes Benz that decided to release their pricing for the U S bolt, uh, EQE SUV. So mm -hmm. we just got the AQE sedan, uh, which we thought was probably the most uh, interesting offering from the electric vehicle lineup from Mercedes so far. And, uh, as has as been the case with uh, Mercedes, they have the SUV version of each of their electric vehicle version. And the obviously, going to the U.S. market, SUVs are pretty popular around here. They have their factory in Alabama the, where they plan to produce it uh, because they want to get access to try to get access to the federal tax credit. And though I thought the EQE, especially the SUV version, might be a little bit too high of a price for it. But uh, it's true that if you get access to the SUV credit, it's up to $80,000. So there is a chance to make it work. So they released the pricing here on the three version. You have the premium, the exclusive, and the pinnacle. And it starts for the premium at 78 uh, $77,900. So, just under the um, the the, the limit, the eighty thousand dollar limit. So, it should give you access to the federal tax credit as long as the the battery stuff is also under control. But we, we don't know about that just yet. The middle and, one
1: is actually exactly eighty thousand.
0: Okay, so you have access to the two, yeah. okay. we don't have a, and uh, do we know when the production is in the air? I mean, to start on that, uh, U.S. dealership. Coming this month, come in the coming months. Okay, yeah, I think they're gonna do go for a 2024 model year here. I would expect uh, after mid year, most likely.
1: Yeah, that's gonna be a great uh, vehicle option. Um, it kind of sits between the EQB, uh, which is a kind of a low power, low range, uh, you know, retrofit kind of uh, mm-hmm. SUV, and uh, the EQS, obviously, which is gonna be much higher end. I, I love these cars. I think they're like they're super fantastic. Uh, they they drive really well. Um, they're obviously very expensive because they're Mercedes, and Mercedes throws a lot of extra stuff in there. But uh, if you can afford them, they're really nice things to drive around in. And uh, Mercedes is going to let me drive a AMG EQE and a uh, EQS SUV while I'm in Los Angeles, uh, starting in April. So, nice. thanks for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the EQB, too, is just uh, like it's, it's much less expensive. But in, in terms, it doesn't feel like luxury like a Mercedes normally feel to me. Like the EQE, that's where the bumps happen. Like you get into the EQE and it's like, all right, this is a luxurious vehicle. So, yeah. if you're looking for something premium, that's that's more like it. I think you're going to be a bit disappointed with the EQB. Um, like you said, more like a compliance feel almost. But uh, yeah, this is where Mercedes started to be more Mercedes in terms of the electric vehicle lineup, I think.
1: I've actually recommended the EQB to a few people. I think it starts at yeah. 55000 which is crazy good. The range is just over two thousand two hundred miles, which is what you would expect from a very low-priced Mercedes. And the acceleration is total garbage. So uh, if you're not into acceleration but into a Mercedes, that makes a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. All so, right. So-
0: One more piece of news and then we jump into the comment section. So you guys are going to have plenty of time to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. So put it in the comment section right now. We're going to get to it in about 5-10 minutes. Um, This is exciting, the last piece of news here. And uh, it was one of the most popular articles that we had this week. So uh, I would assume that uh, a lot of people share our enthusiasm for, for it. It's called a light ship. So it's an electric RV trailer. And what makes it electric and what makes it designed for electric vehicle is two things. Well, first of all, it's the aerodynamic performance of it, which I don't think that should be related to electric vehicle, honestly, because I think all trailers should be as aerodynamic as possible for fuel consumption issues. But... People have been associating efficiency a lot with electric vehicles in order to manage this range issues and range anxiety, and that's especially true for towing. So now that we actually have electric pickup trucks to tow those tra- those trailers, uh, you we realize that the 300 miles F-150 Lightning quickly becomes a 100 mile F-150 Lightning if you have an inefficient and a heavy uh, whatever to tow, and in this case, an RV trailer. So this is one aspect, but what this makes it really uh, an electric trailer is that it actually has an electric drivetrain in it that helps compensate for the loss that you get from the um, just pulling a trailer from with an electric pickup truck. So they say that basically it negates completely if you do have that, because there's going to be two options, there's going to be the trailer just as is, without the drivetrain, and then you have the option with a drivetrain. So it, uh, it comes from uh, the minds of a bunch of uh, tes- former Tesla engineers and, uh, and, and other companies like a Proterra. I thought Rivian too, I saw, saw someone from Rivian in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's, they, they, they've been in the EV industry for a while now. Um, one of them, uh, Ben Parker, co-founder, helped uh, design the battery for the Model 3. Uh, so these are people that have been around for a while now, and uh, they've been working to design basically what would be the perfect RV trailer for an electric vehicle. And the Lightship, Lightship L1 is uh, is what they came up with right now. So let's get into the details here a bit. Uh, it comes with an 80 kilowatt hour battery pack. Sweet. Yeah, that's a decent size for an electric vehicle. Like there's uh, the EQE I think that's pretty close they have an option pretty close to that uh, so you have something similar that you have in the, like a full size electric vehicle but the pack is used for two things It used to, to power the, the actual trailer as a home when you use it as a home but if you combine it with the option to have a drivetrain so you have two uh, uh, two sets of wheels on the um, on the trailer and um, do they have the output of that Um we don't have the output of the motor on this
1: i'm sure it's very low just it yeah. just has to keep up with the uh yeah it doesn't have arm. to be very high just
0: just it just has to keep up with the, the motor and you, you don't you're not going to push you're not going on a drag strip here you're, you're pulling you're pulling a trailer uh so uh it it, it matches your the capacity of the truck and Compensate for the range loss that you get from pulling uh, an EV up to 7,500 pounds, uh, 7,500 pounds trailer when fully loaded, and which is not that heavy of a trailer, especially for that size. Uh, what's the 27-foot trailer? So it's a, it's a big trailer. So we're not talking about a small trailer here. But this is just one aspect of it. So a big one, obviously, in order to mitigate our efficiency issues. But they also make the thing super efficient, where it uh, it's uh, deployable. So you, you often have trailers that are deployable uh, in terms of width, so they collapse into a normal width that you can use on the road. You can drive on the road without uh, one of those big signs of being a uh, uh, too large, wide load, yeah. yeah, wide load things. Uh, and then when you arrive at your camping spot, you, you, you uncollapse them and then you have like a lot more space inside. This is not on the width. This is on the height, which makes a big difference on the efficiency. So when you're on the road, it's six foot nine. So it's not that high. You can see it here, actually. Uh, you're going to be about the same height or even shorter than most uh, pickup truck. Um, here again, you, you can see it. Uh, so you, there, those are giant glass uh, windows here, but you don't see through them because they it is collapsed from the height. So you see like the storage area from it, and then like deployed by from the top. Here it is when it's actually deployed. So it gets much higher. You get to, um, I think it's eight foot nine, almost uh, nine feet tall, yeah, eight point five feet once it's fully deployed, and you can actually stand in there and comfortably even if you're six foot and taller which is not always the case in most trailer and also it looks like it feels super big inside because it's glass all around like you can see here it's a beautiful beautiful design yeah and again giant efficiency gained by being able to get that thing a lot shorter so combining these two together they claim that if you have a 300 mile pickup truck Instead of getting 100 miles of range out of it on that trailer, you're going to get 300 miles of range. And now this, this is a game changer for people that actually want to use this as a trailer because you, you want to get some distance out of your day. Like you're not, you're not going to want to – so if you have 100 miles, you're going to be doing – so with one charge, you're going to be going 200 miles in a day of driving. or Maybe you get three charges out of it, but it starts to get a lot. Uh, you start spending more time charging than on the road. So getting a, a max of 300 miles off of distance, which is it's not necessarily bad. Like you can, you, you can change your scenery a lot on, on 300 miles depending where you are in the world. But now this, this gives you the chance to do like 600 miles in a day uh, o- of road. Uh, so that, that's a obviously day and night in terms of uh, camping situation. Um, in terms of pricing, uh, I'm going to show you the interior a little bit. The interior design is very minimalist. Um, they have a full kitchen in there. And they have this spot for a dining table. And also this lowers down to be the main bed, which they say four to six people can slip in there. But, um, my understanding was this is the only sleeping area. So you're basically sleeping on top of each other if you're four to six, but for a couple, it looks, uh, it looks perfect. Um, yeah, so the starting price is $125,000, but that's the version without the, uh, the powertrain in it. So if you want a powertrain, it starts at $159,000. I didn't put the price in there, but I checked it the other day. I think it's, it's around that. Oh, you also get solar on. I should mention it because that's, that's obviously a big deal too. Uh, so if you want to stop somewhere for an extended period of time, the solar will not only power, you get up to 3 kilowatts of solar. Uh, which doesn't sound like a lot. Like in people on all in their, in their homes normally have over like five kilowatt minimum. But on a small uh, trailer, on this you don't consume that much energy. Three kilowatts is going to be plenty to power your day-to-day camping situation, and then even charge up your car. So if you're parked, you're going to camping for for a long period of time, uh, you don't necessarily need to be plugged in. You and if you're at an actual like camping situation normally you have uh, at least 120 volt but sometimes 240 volt charging right there uh, that you can use to power your cam- your camper and also power you can charge your car if you have an electric car but this truly allows you to have fully off grid camping where you-, you power your camping with this solar and then trickle charge your 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 vehicle to get enough range to if you stay for a week for example it's not going to be High power charging, obviously, but if you're off grid charging for a week, you can arrive there with very little charge on in your car and leave with a full charge or at least half a charge or something like that gets you enough to get to a charging station. So I think this is the future of camping. Obviously, not cheap, uh, but this is the first version of this technology. They're not the only one working on this. Uh, we we reported on the Airstream doing something yeah, similar. I don't know if it's that big of a power train for the Airstream though, right? I don't.
1: They didn't uh, give the uh, specs I'm actually looking at now. Uh, The Airstream is 22 feet in length, only has a single axle, sleeps up to four, only has one floor plan option. Um, But the the interior design is a little bit more, uh, it's just more eclectic. It does have solar on the top as well. I don't know, they didn't say that much. But, um, you know, it's going to be one of those things where do you go with the established maker? Uh, with the kind of lower specs, more expensive, not as, you know, exciting. Or do you go with the new one that, you know, maybe they don't make to market. Maybe they're not as, uh, you know, they, they don't have their manufacturing down quite as good yet, but they, you know, offer a way cooler looking vehicle with a way nicer, uh, you know, experience. So I, I don't know. I, I like both of these, the E-Stream and this one. And I think there's some others coming out too. Yeah, there should be more people
0: working on, on this. I think there's plenty of a space in the market. Personally, I'm, I, I think I was very excited for the Airstream. I still am. But I, I think this is a little bit more exciting just uh, yeah. because of this aerodynamic aspect to it. I think that makes a big difference. And um, the fact that they designed it from the ground up so they're not just like using the classic Airstream um, model. Uh, so like the solar integration, for example, looks way better. In this vehicle than it does on the airstream, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and um, and I like this completely like open like windows everywhere. So it's like especially when you're camping, it's like inside living outside and vice versa. You uh, you, you get that feeling a lot from it, and they, they seem to know what they're doing too in terms of uh, the power trains. So I trust them almost more than the airstreams on that front. Look at the video; like they have some. Uh, uh, they seem to have a, like a pretty advanced prototype here. This is the deployment. Also, I think the deployment is completely uh, automatic. So if you have ever like deploy a, a trailer, it's uh, it's actually a lot of work sometimes. So yeah. uh, if they can figure out how to make that more streamlined, it's uh, it's going to be a game changer. Uh, Probably takes seconds, and it's like you press a button and you do it. But yeah, I don't think they've shown the complete process of it. It's just uh, some quick videos. They seem to have tested it with uh, F-150 and a uh, Rivian. Obviously, if there are Tesla engineers behind it, they're probably thinking, uh, "Oh, that's is that an R1S?" Uh, no. No, uh, no, that looks
1: like a just a regular, uh, yeah, Toyota or Um,
0: yeah, very exciting. We're gonna be keeping an eye on that. Look at that; like that's nice. That's a nice picture right there. Though that wasn't deployed though, <laughs> because <laughs> it, it almost looks better when it's not fully deployed because it looks like almost like a, all glass. All right, really exciting. I'm going to keep an eye on this project because uh, 2024, it's when the first deliveries are starting. Now All right, going to jump into the comment section.
1: Let's <laughs> jump in. Uh, Luke Miller, hi guys. Uh, afternoon from Montreal, one of your neighbors, Fred. Hey, obviously. Uh, Nick Cedar, question Seth, can you comment on what you think is the risk of buying a used bolt that has not had a battery replacement? It's unclear at this point how dangerous it is. Can GM really replace every battery? Uh, GM said they are going to replace every battery. So uh, you, I would say you have a pretty good shot if you get a, a used bolt that hasn't been replaced yet. I mean, I think they're guaranteeing it. So I, I, I wouldn't worry about getting a new battery. It might take some time. In the meantime, I think the batteries are relatively safe. Like maybe no, you know, don't charge in your garage or um, whatever. And obviously their recommendation is don't uh, charge to 100%, just charge to 80%. I think in that case, you're fine. Um, you know, like 10, 10 caught on fire, uh, obviously not good. You don't want that to happen. But uh, the fires are slow. Like, I don't want to make excuses for battery fires, but like... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's not
0: a good look. I still look you, you,
1: don't, you, don't want, you don't want a battery fire. But, um, you know, I think it's relatively safe to get one just trying to get a, a replacement.
0: I don't think there's ever been one two that's been on the road either, right? Like it's Right, not, it's, like always it's always something
1: parked and charging or di- uh, so
0: the somewhere. big thing is like park it outside and like, don't parking
1: in a garage and then you're gonna be fine right all right good news fred uh luke miller says that fred apparently J- chat gpt is identifying you as a top electric car journalist congrats really i'm gonna have to check that out <laughs> i uh <laughs> so I agree. You,
0: if you ask chat gpt right now you can ask them who's the top electric car journalist and they're gonna say me
1: that's interesting I know that's that. awesome congratulations well, I, me
0: me two years ago, like it's two years ago, me I think because they don't have the information up to two years, so maybe I've been bumped up since.
1: Who knows? All right, uh, Patricio Benadon Question: Is there a way to view the footage from the B pillars cameras on Teslas? Any idea why they aren't included, like in Sentry mode or another feature? Thanks.
0: Yeah, uh, I don't think there is i don't think there is like uh because the fenders cameras are the one on the side that they use for the
1: side you got to give uh, jason Hughes a call or something
0: yeah if you uh if maybe you can get some mm, i don't know i don't know if it, they, they even store it beyond uh, a certain period of time like they maybe they maybe use it for the autopilot so maybe store briefly somewhere but i don't think uh, i don't think they do
1: all right, uh, Jonathan Root, notice how they never mentioned better acoustics with the uh, new uh, roof glass. Uh, that's a fair point. Uh, though, is the roof glass the most important one
0: for acoustic, though?
1: I mean, was that even an issue? Like, uh, I well, I mean, I know it's an issue, but uh, I don't think the glass was a big part of the issue.
0: I mean, the double up the, the acoustic glass or on the w- windows. Right. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's a good point.
1: we have a comment. Uh, Dan says, yeah, if the acoustics of the new glass was good, they'd have mentioned it. So some pessimism there. Carl in San Diego, Elon famously can't bring himself to release a compromised car. What makes people think he and Tesla will willingly design and produce a low-range stripper car for $25,000? Well, first of all, what is a stripper car? (laughs) Yeah, that sounds weird, right? Yeah. Um, A stripped car,
0: probably, does that... What they meant?
1: It's got a pole in it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, they're making money. I think on that base model three starts at forty something thousand dollars. So how far down you yeah, have to go? The model three right now doesn't have a structural battery pack. Doesn't have the forty six eighty cells. Um, that, that's going to be the big deal. So you, you just if you, you were just to make a model three with that process you're going to cut a lot of costs right there just, just with that alone. But then you can add a few more things where, and because the, the cost improvement on the manufacturing side of things, but then that also includes some efficiency improvements um, that will allow you to build that car with a lot fewer battery energy capacity. And, and that's obviously one of the big, cost saving opportunities that you have uh, with any electric vehicles. So if you just do that, you do a smaller battery pack with that, with the manufacturing cost improvement, already you're probably damn close to $30,000, which, I mean, when Tesla announced a $25,000 car, I'm thinking a $30,000 car, obviously. Uh, And uh, then maybe some more interior, uh, simple interior, maybe a cloth finish instead of uh, fake leather, uh, there's, um, you know, just a little few things near and there, and you, you get pretty close to that thirty thousand dollar mark, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, smaller battery pack, uh, cheaper battery pack, LFP. Um, you know, we saw that Mazda-looking uh, thing from China. I guess maybe something like that. I don't know. I'm sure there's. They can get there, somewhere near yeah. there. All right, Edmunds test cars using eco mode and with a healthy mix of sixty percent city speed. Doing that, the current Mini Cooper SE is the most efficient EV sold in USA. Where's the love? No one cares. Uh, well, it it's efficient, but it's got a microscopic battery, which helps it being efficient. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. range wise, it's not great. Uh, but you know, for city driving. Uh, you're not going to spend more electricity on any other vehicle, I guess. So congrats. Uh, my, our own Mikey G, uh, who does the daily podcast that you should all go subscribe to now. He says, how do you foresee the transition from autonomy level two to five occurring? All brands, I'm guessing the public will be condemned to suffer through level two until level five regulatory cleared can be sold.
0: It is uh it is hard to imagine that that transition. That's a good question because it is a hard transition to imagine. Um, first of all, level five. I think that's that's the one that I've come to gripe with the idea that it's decades away. Like level five, we're talking about any environment, any conditions. Uh, that's Snow, that, that, that rain. So, like you, have you've been driven in in the winter in the Northeast, like it's, it's everything gets dirty all the time. All those cameras, like I know that there is solution to that. Like there's just like an equivalent of a windshield wiper for for just the cameras all around the, the vehicle, but it's not elegant. It's it's expensive and servicing that is super difficult. So level five, we can put it aside, but you can have a ma a massive massive impact just with level four. So. Level four, which is like most environment most of the time and, and a, a significant uh, delay between switching from autonomous and autonomous mode. So like it's not like you can actually sleep in the car and, and they can tell you like when you're going to have to be alert and ready to take control. So that's a, big, that's, that's a big difference. And I think that's a lot more achievable level four. Uh, but when you, you when you go from a switch to, to a transition from one to the other, so obviously level two is completely driver assist system. It's basically a cruise control. Um, there's companies that are just, we're going straight to level four, level five, like, the, like the, the Waymo of this world and the cruise of this world and all that. So that's easier to see. It's going to be geofence, Uber service, basically, in a city like that. That's easy to see. There's not that many companies that are doing what Tesla is doing, basically. So going, trying to go from level 2 to 3 to 4. Uh, because on the other hand, you have like Mercedes and, and uh, GM that's basically doing that level 3. They want, they want to focus on level 3, which is also an interesting approach. And uh, uh, maybe you can see a little bit easier going from level 3 to level 4. Then you can from level two to level three to level four. <laughs> it's a it's really strange way to look at it. Really, uh, it's but in in terms of Tesla, which is the, the biggest one that we want to see, obviously going from a level two to to higher. Uh, little, Tesla makes it sound like they don't even they're gonna they want to skip level three. They're gonna do from like level two to level four, um, but they just they need to show again enough data over time so they're going to have to convince the regulator to just a ton ton of of data and basically it's it's going to be similar to a process of like when you go right now and you go to the DMV and you you, you do your your test the driving test and you need to pass that test we're going to keep developing more and more advanced uh version to test those um driving system uh to get those level of uh, operating up to different SAE lo- autonomous driving levels. And then that combined would show a lot of data of HIT working in the background. So people are responsible, but it, it's working on the background, what it would have done, uh, some kind of like real-world simulation, if you will. And if you get enough data with that combined with passing those tests, then you, you're going to see some system actually being improved, I think.
1: All right, moving on. Stefan uh, Fokhtar... Uh, lightship trailer. Uh, we're talking about the solar trailer, then you'd have to adapt the cars to drive and charge at the same time. Uh, I don't know what that means exactly. Uh, I think further down, somebody asked about um, charging both vehicles when you're at the uh, uh the charging station, you have to charge two different vehicles. So you have two different chargers, I guess. Um, so maybe that's what he's thinking.
0: But at the same time as driving, he, he says, so maybe it's about the solar or, or does it mean like capacity from the pack of the trailer? Cause that's not it. The, the, the pack is not, the pack in the trailer is not charging the car. The pack right. in the trailer is powering a, a drivetrain on an axle on the trailer that is helping compensate from the efficiency loss that comes with pulling a trailer with with the powertrain of the truck that you're using to tow. So there's no transfer of energy between the two.
1: Yeah, you might have misunderstood that.
0: Yeah, I think that's more like it.
1: All right, Uh, Carl in San Diego, has Tesla ever officially admitted the kilowatt size of the Model 3 in various forms? Uh, I read a paper recently that referenced a 40 kilowatt hour Model 3 battery, which sounded 10 kilowatt too small to me. Yeah, I mean, those are published, but...
0: Yeah, no, nothing on the Tesla side officially, but uh, you do get them from like the EPA uh, documentation and all that. I don't know them by heart anymore. I uh, used to, but yeah, uh, 40 kilowatt hours sounds a little bit low. I think it's closer to like 50, 55 for the uh, the, the base version, which is the LFP now. So,
1: All right. Uh Jeffrey Greik question: The IRA incentive says the Tesla open chargers include at least 3,500 new and existing 250 kilowatt chargers. Can't they convert a few and take most of the money and to build new superchargers? Uh, yeah, I don't know how
0: that works. So, to be honest, so that that was the agreement, and I I guess Tesla is like a specific agreement with with the government with that because of their unique situation of. Having to have to open up the, the chargers rather than be CCS adapted in the first place, but I, I'm not too worried about that. I'm sure it's going to be scrutinized like crazy by people because you know as soon as Tesla gets any kind of government money, it's like oh that's all the company's about. It's just about taking government money. But um, in in this case here, it's like it's super hard to make an argument against Tesla like not being the most impactful when it comes to DC fast charging for electric vehicles. And uh, whatever share they get of that money, uh, it's gonna be the most, not only the most well deserved, but also the most likely the best used money government incentive towards electric vehicle charging. So I I think I'm not saying that this won't be criticized for it. Whatever penny they get, they will all get super criticized. But uh, I think that the, the 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 smart people are gonna put it in perspective that gonna make it seem like it's it's worth it because it is i think
1: all right mikey's back how much would you charge in money to haul the light ship for 200 freeway miles using the aptera the aptera three-wheeled solar car pulling a anything sounds like uh a pipe dream but i guess if this thing's (laughs) powering itself uh then i guess you could pull that with the aptera no idea to be honest
0: yeah i wouldn't try that
1: yeah doesn't sound like a good idea yeah. All right. Uh, John Kichengis, uh, the 25,000 Tesla manufacturing process will need to be developed while the factory in Mexico is being constructed. Would Austin be the logical place to set up the first production system or in Shanghai? It's a good question.
0: Well, I mean, they already have the unbox process, like somewhat conceptually, they have it. So, any new production line is going to be somewhat based on it, not necessarily the, the entire deployment of it. Like Tesla made it clear that this is can be developed incrementally, so you can have like had some of this uh, process, some of the part of the assembly to that concept, and then eventually the entire unbox process uh, can be the production line. So I think any new production line that Tesla is designing going forward and and deploying going forward is going to include at least part of that process and eventually all that process. So yeah, in terms of Austin would be a logical place, especially for Cybertruck. So I think Cybertruck is going to be partly like that, maybe not entirely like that, since it's the it's it's already it's been in, in the production line has been in deployment for months already right now. Uh, But any new production line, so Shanghai, it's obviously going to be like the new cheaper vehicles also supposed to be made there uh, as well as uh, Mexico. So yeah, you're going to see a production line like that, like the unboxed one in Shanghai as well as Mexico.
1: All right. Uh, Stripper car is a Ford Escort. So I guess that's uh, a terminology we're not familiar with. But uh, no, I think he's saying like strippers are known
0: for for driving uh, Ford Escort and like an Escort. Escort, oh, escort. No.
1: Yeah, funny. All right, yeah. Kenny Armor uh, metal roof might help getting to that thirty thousand dollar price point. Is what like does glass cost more than metal? Like I feel like once you, once you build it. <laughs> yeah,
0: but but we talked about that too last week. Anyway, I'm not so sure about that because also of the unbox process, the roof access, putting the glass at the end on top of it, and keeping roof access throughout the manufacturing process might be a better benefit than a cost benefit of switching to metal roof. Though I guess you can also just bolt in the roof at the end. All
1: right, uh, stripper model equals automotive term for featureless. Elon is claiming uh, that the cheap car could be a robo taxi, which means it needs all the tech. Yeah, that I don't, I don't quite get that idea that the cheap car being a robo taxi just because um, it needs all that, you know, the, the good computer, the good cameras, um, and you know. Like, are you really saving that much money by not having a steering wheel? I don't know. Well, and also, is it going to be able not
0: to have a steering wheel? Like, <laughs> I, know, the, I know they've talked about it, but uh, just from the history of, of Tesla not delivering on the self-driving capability, it right. would be super risky to uh, deploy the... like uh, ...high hundreds of thousands units per year to a million units per year vehicle program that people might not be able to drive and then it not, cannot drive itself. It's, it's suicide. Like it's financial No, no steering
1: wheels. Just yeah. that'd be kind of scary. Uh, they said the Cybertruck would be the first of the new construction style. Yeah, wow. to
0: implement part of it. Yeah, that makes yeah.
1: sense. The Tesla van teased at the Investor's Day will be based on the Cybertruck platform and will be made of the same material and processes. Am I right?
0: Uh, well, so people have been talking about this Tesla van thing. there's when you say T's, I mean, you assume like the the one that was on the image and, and with the cloth on, on top of it. I think that's the robo taxi that we're talking about. So it's yeah, and we've not, seen
1: that a few times before.
0: Yeah, it's not necessarily a van, though. I I understand why you would say that, but uh, I think it can it can look like very different from from a van. It can be more just like of a people mover, basically.
1: All right few more questions tesla's vegan seats are from the oil plastics industry i guess uh that's like so they use petroleum yeah i'm not that familiar with all
0: they do that the fake leather thing
1: yeah and then uh steve sutton they won't strip features from the car it isn't cost effective to remove a ten dollar part hence the reason why they leave fsd hardware when people don't buy fsd uh, yeah, obviously that's not the reason
0: why the uh, all the cars come with the FSD hardware. It's more of a, the the value of unlocking it over time. So so Tesla can offer obviously the uh, subscription service uh, later on, or you can unlock it buying the whole package later on. So there's a ton of value in that. Um, but yeah, it is not cost effective to remove it. That that's for sure. But the reason is like you can still get the revenue from it later on. Sorry, even if people don't buy it. Uh, when they take delivery of the car. On top of it is like also the data collection. Data collection still happens. On top of that, too, the safety features that are enabled through uh, that hardware uh, suite of um, the sensors and, and, and the computer, those are standard on all cars, and they are powered by the same hardware. So if you want to have that, you need to have the hardware in the first place. So, yeah, I mean, those are the main reason to do it. Uh, in terms of the overall cost, like it is somewhat significant, but I don't think it's that, like uh, overall, if it's in terms of material costs, I would be surprised if it's over $2,000, maybe. Uh, then, of course, it is more complicated for the production because there's a lot of cabling, all the wiring that goes into all the sensors all around the car. It's, it's the bigger deal. But that was part of the new unboxer system of uh, streamlined wiring. So that's going to be addressed a little bit, at least partly through that. So, yeah, I'm not that much concerned of how much cost is added to the $25,000 $25, uh, Tesla to the FSD hardware uh, as much as uh, the steering wheel or no steering wheel. Like that's That's the bigger concern to me. Uh, but yeah, Carl just says like twenty-five thousand dollar car plus fifteen dollars FSD. Yeah, th- that's that's what Tesla is aiming forward to. Well, and, and that's the bigger concern I think too. From if you if you zoom out of this whole thing, because I think that's what Tesla's been thinking. they they've been thinking we are going to deliver a full self-driving capability. It's going to happen. and that, that They're so sure of that. At least Elon is so sure of that, that he's like, yeah, we do a $25,000 car. And you see $15,000 now for the full self-driving package, but he's been made it clear that once they actually unlock the full self-driving package, if they actually do it, it's going to be even more expensive for that. So it's like, it's, like it's never going to be a $25,000 car because who is not going to want to have it full self-driving? So it's going to be a thirty, dollars 40000 $50,000 car. In its in its view, and at that point, it's pure profit because it's uh, that again. Like I said, this hardware is no more than two thousand dollars or something like that. So it's going to be all software development costs that's going to be amortized through through those profits.
1: All right, a uh, few more uh, twenty five thousand
0: well, car. Plus well, you just did that. I just did that.
1: Oh, and then uh, Steve Sutton, if Mexico permits are done this month, and Tom said. It should take. Tom Zo said it should take nine months to build Giga Monterey. What is the timeline for the ERDA presses? Don't they take a long time to build, ship, install, and configure?
0: Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I would assume that Tesla's taking that into account, and the the buy orders are already in for a while. For for those, uh, we know that Mex- Giga Factory Mexico has been in the work for a while because it was supposed to be announced late last year. So I wouldn't be too concerned about that. I'm sure that Tesla is uh, thinking ahead of time. And also, I think there's going to be a lot of synergy between Gigafactory Mexico and Gigafactory Texas. So they might be able to share parts and, and, and things like that. Because uh, I think it's like a six or seven hour drive between the two. And obviously, Tesla had the, has the deal at the border that makes it super seamless. So uh, yeah, every, everything points to some synergy benefits from, from the two Gigafactories not being located too far. Uh, I mean, the are the... Other than maybe like Fremont Factory and Gigafactory, Nevada, like this is the closest uh, situation that Tesla has between the Gigafactory. So, yeah. Um, well, thanks a lot, everyone, for listening to the show this week. Uh, appreciate your questions because, like I said, we were kind of short on news. It was a show news week, so your question helped fill up the time. Uh, we appreciate every single one of you. If you do enjoy the show, please give us a thumbs up, a like, whatever it is on the app that you're watching. And uh, if you can leave us a five-star review on your podcast app, that also helps us show tremendously. It's free to do, takes a seconds, and it helps more than you can think. And uh, we appreciate every single one of you, and we're going to see you same time, same place,